right, so this is a season-long study on Jesus in the Old Testament. Um, and uh, you can get everything that we've done to date uh, by going to the website of the church, naplesgathering.org. You'll be able to get these lessons, and so I encourage you to do that. You'll be staying up to speed. Uh, and so we're going to continue on today in that study. And so uh, we, what we recognize is that Jesus did not uh, arrive unannounced. There's no question. Jesus didn't arrive unannounced. From Genesis right through uh, the scriptures, it was clear something big was coming. The Son of God was coming, and we see that. Uh, and it's important for you to understand that. All the prophecies uh, that, that you're going to see, the various typology of Christ that we're going to study about. God is telling a larger unified story about salvation. Uh, and so everything from the beginning of Genesis uh, and the Garden of Eden right through relates to the coming story of salvation. And it is always pointed to Christ. Always pointed to Christ. Uh, and now Christ is given many titles uh, in Scripture, in the Old Testament. Uh, the titles that apply to Jesus uh, in the Old Testament include Jehovah, Elohim, Adonai, Son of God, and the Angel of Jehovah. All of those titles have applied to Christ uh, at one time. You need to know that in a well-known messianic uh, passage, prophecy in Zechariah, Jehovah is speaking. Uh, and this is found in Zechariah 12, towards the end of the Old Testament. Zechariah 12, verse 10. And there he says, When they look on me, on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child, and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. How about that? Now, that's written about 600 or so years before Christ would be born. You see this incredible prophecy in which uh, Jesus himself effectively is speaking about what will come, the piercing and the mourning. Uh, and so it's not a surprise. Uh, and so in essence there, Jehovah is calling himself Christ. Uh, and, it, and it is Christ who will be pierced. I mean, it's, that's the point. You see pierced, it's Jesus. Revelation Chapter 1, verse 7, makes this clear. And it says there, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. How about that? In the last days, and Jesus will come back. Uh, and so you see that. So this becomes important for us to know. Christ is also designated in the Old Testament. Another one of his titles is the Jehovah of the temple. Uh, and if you look at Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, it says there, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. The Lord you seek will suddenly come to his temple. Uh, and so there it is, Malachi. Malachi is written about 450 years before Christ would be born. And so you see there 
uh, uh, God speaking, Christ speaking effectively that he would come to the temple. Well, in his gospel, Matthew removes any doubt at all that this is a reference to Jesus. If you look at Matthew 21, verses 12 to 13, Matthew 21, well-known passage, Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. Effectively, the whole prophecy from Malachi, again, coming full circle when you see it. And so we cannot overestimate uh, or overemphasize the significance of the term Jehovah being applied to Christ. Because Jehovah is the holiest names given to God uh, in the Old Testament. Uh, that, that, that the term Jehovah was used of Jesus Christ effectively affirms the fact beyond any question that Jesus is a deity and that all of the attributes of God himself apply to Jesus Christ. Now Christ is also identified in, in the Old Testament with the name Elohim, which is another name for God in the Old Testament. In fact, Isaiah 40, verses 3, and you can look open that to that, uses both Jehovah and Elohim to describe the same person, and that same person is Christ. Look at, look at uh, 40, Isaiah 40, verse 3. The voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And so continuing on, Isaiah refers to Elohim in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. And you know this passage, uh, and this is where Elohim is referenced in this passage. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And that applies clearly to Jesus Christ. And there, the Hebrew language used is Elohim. And so clearly, the Old Testament makes it clear Jesus is our mighty God. All of this begins to make great sense as we see Jesus as the God of creation in Genesis 1.1. Now, another visual manifestation of God uh, to human beings, uh, is referred to as a Christophany. Christophany. Now, a Christophany is a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ in human form. A pre-incarnate appearance of Christ, meaning before he would be incarnated as a baby in the manger, he has appeared multiple times in uh, the Old Testament. Uh, now, this does not include visions of God uh, or metaphors involving God, but actual temporary appearances of God in the form of a human being. Now, in the Old Testament, Christ appeared in his pre-incarnate state. In the New Testament, God appears in not as a temporary human being, but in his final uh, human position, incarnated 
Uh, and so he becomes really at that point the God-man, Jesus Christ. So Jesus, as we know, is fully God and fully man. Think of these Christophanies, effectively, as occasions when the second person of the Holy Trinity appears as a man. Uh, but it is not actually a man. It is an appearance as a man. He takes the form of a man, but he's not actually a man. And these are temporary, and we'll go through those. Uh, in his incarnation, incarnation, however, uh, Christ becomes a man, fully man, uh, while retaining, effectively, his deity. Fully man, fully God. Uh, and so it's important to see the difference, but it's important to understand that the Old Testament has these Christophanies. Now, Christophanies, you see, are a valuable component of God's progressive revelation uh, of salvation. God is revealing what is going to take place. He's revealing his plan for salvation in a clear methodology uh, and introducing the only personage of the Trinity who will be visible. There is only one visible entity in the Trinity. It's Jesus Christ. Uh, and so the most predominant Christophanies in the Old Testament involve the angel of Jehovah, uh, sometimes called the messenger of the Lord, uh, which is the Son of God. Now, not every Christophany uh, invokes the angel of the Lord, but every time the angel of the Lord is mentioned, it refers to Christ. So if you see a passage and it speaks of angel of the Lord, you can rest assured that's Jesus. Uh, an electronic search for angel of the Lord uh, in the Old Testament yields 56 examples. How about that? From Genesis to Zechariah, 56 examples. Uh, so if you have any doubt about Jesus appearing in the Old Testament, you shouldn't. The angel is especially prominent, especially prominent during the wilderness wanderings as the Jewish people are taken out of Egypt uh, and are brought eventually to the promised land but will wander for 40 years. Uh, and so uh, Exodus 40 verse 38 tells us that God accompanies Israel as a cloud as a cloud. And so that cloud is Christ. That cloud is Christ. Then there's a pillar of fire. That pillar of fire is a Christ, is Christ. Look at Exodus 40, verse 38. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, and fire was in the cloud by night, in the sight of all the Israelites during all those travels. Can you imagine? that there's the Jewish nation effectively being led and protected by Christ. And yet they still have not accepted Christ. Irony, isn't it? Irony. But God knows. Now, most of the Christophanies involve short-term appearances. A few of these examples are appropriate to study, and I want to study them today. Uh, one of them involves uh, Abraham and tells him not to sacrifice his son Isaac. Turn, if you would, to Genesis 22. Genesis 22. Uh, beginning with verse 6. And this is the passage where Abraham will attempt to, to sacrifice Isaac. Beginning, Abraham took the wood 
for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. Now, uh, symbolically, the wood being placed on, God, on Isaac would effectively be uh, the cross, the coming of the cross. All right? So wood being placed on Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham, replied, the fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering. I want you to underline that in your Bible. God himself will provide the lamb. God himself, not using an outside agency, but God himself will provide the lamb. And, and effectively what we know is several thousand years later, God did provide the lamb. It was Jesus Christ. Uh, continuing on. Uh, and the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord, Jesus, you got it? The angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. You've not withheld from me, from me. He's not speaking in a third person. This is Christ speaking here. Uh, Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. And Abraham speaks in other places where he says that he came face to face with God. All right, what a powerful passage this is. Uh, as you see the import of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. So here we are. We're in Genesis. The first book of the, of the Old Testament. And Jesus is there and appearing there. Uh, now the angel of the Lord, all right, appears also to Moses from the burning bush. If you look at Exodus chapter 3, verse 2, there the angel of the Lord appeared to him. This is the quote. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Uh, Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. It's Christ, the angel of the Lord, giving Moses his instructions. Uh, the angel of the Lord. Now, <clears throat> the angel of the Lord is also referenced uh, in Second Kings 19, verse 35. And the people of Israel are surrounded by the Assyrians, a vicious tribal group of people that intended to wipe them out. Uh, and look what happens here as the angel of the Lord strikes down 
5,000 Assyrians in one night to protect Jerusalem and Judah. How about that? 185,000 Assyrians. Uh, look at 2 Kings 19, verse 35. That night the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 in the Assyrian camp. When the people got up the next morning, there were all the dead bodies. You can't write fairy tales like this. Am I right? You can't. So if you ever doubt that God has your back, that God walks with you, that God will protect you, you have to reflect back on these passages. All right? Uh, and this, again, is Jesus walking in the Old Testament. We continue. Many people, many scholars believe that the man who wrestles Jacob is the angel of the Lord, is Jesus Christ. Uh, and so take a look at Genesis chapter 32, if you would. Beginning with verse 22. That night, Jacob got up, took his two wives, his two maidservants, and his eleven sons, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. Now, you know the story. This is Jacob fleeing from his brother Esau. Jacob had taken the birthright from Esau. Esau wanted to kill Jacob. Jacob was a schemer, a supplanter, a guy who felt he could do his own thing. And he's about to learn that you can't do your own thing when you want to be used by God. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. Let me assure you, it's not a man. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, understand something. Let's be careful how we read that. It's not that he couldn't overpower him. It was that Jacob was not submitting to God. You got that? That's what's going on here. He's still doing his own thing. I'm a man in charge of my own life. I'm not going to let anybody tell me what to do. He touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Now, who's going to bless you? All right, unless it's God himself. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. You've struggled with God. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed them there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. I saw God face to face. All right? You understand? It's Jesus Christ. It's Christ appearing in the Old Testament in this very, very powerful presentation there uh, where, he, where he effectively touches Jacob and saves Jacob, and Jacob will become a powerful patriarch, uh, the father of Joseph. Uh, and so you see this. Uh, and and uh, the prophet Hosea 
uh, in the book of Hosea refers to the fact that God appeared to Jacob. And so there's no question about this. You need to be aware of this, that, that this is a Christophany. This is a, the appearance of Christ as a human being. Uh, now, one of the pieces of evidence that Christ is the person within the Christophanies is that the messenger or angel of the Lord that appeared routinely in the Old Testament never appears again after the art incarnation. How about that? In other words, once Jesus uh, was incarnated, you will never again see the appearance of the angel of the Lord. Why? Because that was closed. Because now Jesus is our Savior. Uh, he's our Christ. He's uh, man and God. And so he no longer appears as the angel of the Lord. This certainly warrants the inference for us that he is the same person. There's no question. It is the Father who sends both the angel of the Lord and Christ himself, uh, which indicates it's either the Christ or the Holy Spirit who we're looking at. Uh, John chapter 1, verse 18 says, No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Uh, no one has ever seen God the Father, but we have seen God the Son, who, who God has made him known. And so here it's obvious. Uh, as God appears in Old Testament Christophanies, and was seen by people routinely, it is obvious that God, in these cases, is not the Father, but the Son. Finally, we should note, and this is important, that the Christophanies impart a vital lesson about God. And that is this. God is a personal being. He's not some abstract force. Uh, his appearance as a man routinely in the Old Testament demonstrates his personal and relational aspect to mankind. He demonstrates his love towards mankind uh, and kindness. And all of this is contained in the Old Testament. And so you see, God does nothing in secret. He prepares humanity for what will come. And what will come will be the appearance of Christ as our Savior. Now, another aspect pointing to Christ uh, in the Old Testament is through typology. Typology, meaning what? Uh, it's, it's a symbol. It's a representation of what Christ is, of who he is. And this occurs routinely in types through the Bible. That's how God speaks. Uh, he, he lays out this typology for you to recognize it's the relational aspect of Jesus. Uh, and, and this appears not as a person, but in events uh, or type in the Old Testament. Uh, and, it and it correlates to the salvation framework. This means that God uses the types that you will refer, you will see referred to as we go on here, as a redemptive activity for his people. And it foreshadows the very nature of what Jesus would do for us. Uh, what God partially accomplishes through uh, the typology corresponds to what he will do actually with Jesus Christ on the cross. And so there's no secret of what Jesus would do. 
There was no secret to the Jewish people of what would take place. God preordained it and indicated it thousands of years before Christ would be born. Uh, but these uh, sacrifices that you see in the Old Testament are vastly inferior to what we have under the New Covenant, vastly inferior, and they're only temporary. And I told you that the Passover, uh, which was an ordained uh, ceremony by God, ended uh, as an ordained ceremony of God at the cross. Because when Jesus had the uh, communion dinner, uh, no longer would it be an animal sacrifice, but my body, my body, which would be sacrificed for you. And so from that time forward, the Passover, as an ordinance of God uh, for us, ended. Now, I know the Jewish people still celebrate the Passover because they don't believe in Christ. Uh, and frankly, if you have Jewish friends, you ought to ask them, what are you doing about animal sacrifice? Uh, and they'll just look at you with a glazed look because there are no animal sacrifices. All right, They don't do that. So even though they, they say they're honoring the uh, Passover, uh, they're not really doing it the way God ordained it in Leviticus. Uh, and I would say to you, as much as I love my Jewish friends, that's an empty holiday. That's an empty holiday. Uh, you can do it as a secular event. You can do it as a cultural event. But to think that God is ordaining that and you are speaking to God once he gave his son on the cross, that ended it. That's important for you to understand this. Uh, you know, this is important even when we have Messianic Jews, and we have Messianic Jews, uh, and some of the Messianic Jews still celebrate uh, the Passover. And, and that's okay because it, it becomes effectively an aspect of their background, historical background. But make no mistake about it, that has been supplanted by the Holy Supper. It's the Holy Supper. That's your Passover. Now, some of the most widely known examples uh, of the Old Testament types used by the writers of the Old Testament are those, the exodus from Egypt, Sodom and Gomorrah and Eden. Consider Jesus telling Nicodemus, uh, and this is in John 3, Verse 14, one of my favorite passages, where here he is telling Nicodemus, the chief rabbi, the holiest guy in all of Israel, uh, and Jesus says to him, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. How about this? The carpenter from Nazareth. The carpenter from Nazareth telling the chief rabbi, by the way, you don't know your Bible. You don't know your Bible. When they raise that brass serpent, that effectively becomes Christ on the cross. That's what that becomes. And as he does that, as he delivered all those who were dying from vipers, he will deliver Israel, who believes in him, that they will have eternal life. Uh, and that's the passage, if you want to read that. We won't read it now. Recorded in Numbers 21, verses, verse 9, where the brass serpent is elevated, where God tells Moses if they want to be cured, they have to raise the brass serpent uh, and put it on a pole. Put it on a pole. Over and over again, God indicated this. This is the typology of what you're going to see. The very means of you being saved is going to be put on a pole. It's going to be put on a cross. 
It's going to look ugly. It's not going to be endearing as Christ will be suffering and bleeding and dying. But you looking there and believing in him, you will be saved. And I believe Nicodemus was saved because we know that when Christ died, uh, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea come to the cross and receive the body of Christ and bury him in a tomb. So I believe that's evidence of the fact, even though the Bible doesn't lay it out specifically, I believe uh, Nicodemus is saved. Uh, and so as you understand this, the Passover lamb uh, in Exodus chapter 12 is a type of Christ. It's a type of Christ. Uh, and, and one of the most poignant aspects of the instructions there is that you're not to break the bones of the Passover lamb. Why? Because 2,000 years later, Jesus will be put on the cross and when the Roman soldiers go to break his legs, which was routine in any crucifixion, Jesus would die so that his legs would never be broken. Foreordained by God. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. <laughs> you couldn't have one sentence so succinctly uh, so summarize the situation. Get rid of the old yeast. What's the old yeast? The old covenant. The old ways. All right? The old animal sacrifices. They're gone. They're over. Get rid of it. Uh, now you need a new unleavened batch. The new covenant in Christ. For Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. So you, you see how everything is coming together. Jesus is the Passover lamb, the very aspect of that, and God is, is indicating this. Look, this is important for you to know. Why? Because you're going to come in contact with lost people that need to understand that there's one Bible. You need to be able to convey to people that God preordained from the beginning of the Bible that Christ would be coming. This indicates the importance of Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. This is a critical study. And hopefully you'll come across some Jewish people. Wouldn't it be wonderful if you could talk like this to, to Jewish brethren? And wouldn't it be wonderful if you were able to bring a Jew to salvation? And I would say if you do that, you're probably going to get a waterfront mansion in heaven. <laughs> That's a big deal. All right? Somebody said there's no water in heaven. Well, whatever it is, it's a prime location. All right? It's a prime location. Uh, and so we talked about this, but again, you see Christ, he's in every part of the Old Testament. You know, I always knew this, but until I actually studied this and really wrote this whole study out, it just overwhelmed me, overwhelmed me uh, about how clear God was. There's no, there's no shroud. There's no mystery. Uh, look, at we talked about the rock that Moses strikes in the wilderness to produce water for the people. It anticipates the coming of Christ. The rock is struck. The, the, Jesus is crucified. 
It's that, that which gives water, that which gives life again. Uh, and then when, when Moses, in anger, and we talked about it last week, is told to speak, to speak to the rock in anger, <laughs> poor guy, all right, he strikes the rock. And God says, you will be punished. You will never walk into the promised land. Now, I know you're saying, oh, God, you're so severe after all he's done. But this is a big deal. You see, it's Jesus. You don't crucify Jesus twice. You crucify him once. And now you speak to him. Uh, And so it becomes important. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. Where it says there, they all ate, and this is the, the Jewish people leaving uh, Egypt, they all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. So don't think it's me making up these uh, examples, it's quite obvious that the apostles understood it, that the Holy Spirit delivered this message. That spiritual rock was Christ. What a powerful picture. Uh, and you see it. Such types of Christ are scattered throughout the entire Old Testament. Let's take a moment and look at Exodus 15, verse 22. Now the people of Israel are traveling, uh, and they now need water. They come upon this lake, and the lake is poisoned. Uh, And so I want you to see what happens here. This is Exodus 15, verse 22. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur, For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. This is why the place is called Marah. So the people grumbled. Oh, is that a shock? They grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? And Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. You understand what's going on here? The wood was thrown into the water. It's the cross. It's the typology of the coming cross, the bitterness of the water, which could not be drunk. Now, when the the wood is put into the water, when Christ dies for you on the cross, the bitterness of sin in your life leaves you. This is what it's all about, understanding this. The bitterness in your life, the evil, the darkness in your life, but the wood coming into the water alleviated that. What a powerful uh, passage that presages the coming of Christ. Uh, There the Lord made a decree and a law for them, and he tested them. He said, if you listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, If you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. 
How about that? How about that? If you keep my commandments, if you walk with me, I will be with you. I will protect you. Uh, and this passage here really is a very typo- a veritable typology of Christ. Christ who would go to the cross. And on that cross, just like this, the uh, bronze serpent raised up, he would heal his people. He would deliver you from sin. He would take away the bitterness. Uh, and you would have life ever as- lasting, effectively the water of life. Uh, and so these are powerful appearances, really, of Christ uh, as God is, is preparing his people. And so as we continue our study of Jesus appearing in the Old Testament, we need to look at some specific examples, Christophanies. Uh, in the early days uh, before, uh, the, uh, really, the men had any portion of the human word, the written word, there's no human, written word yet uh, in Genesis, uh, and before the full revelation of the Holy Spirit comes to man uh, as the revealer of God, uh, God appeared generally in human form and talked with men. He appeared and he talked with men. Uh, he did that in the Garden of Eden. That was the first time. Uh, before Adam and Eve sinned, uh, before they sinned, they walked and talked with God. Uh, But after sin entered into their hearts uh, and disturbed that close fellowship, they only hid hid themselves and only heard his voice. Uh, And so that becomes important to understand that as well. Now, both Enoch, Enoch, and you know who Enoch is. There's only two people in the Old Testament in the history of the world who ever left this world without experiencing physical death. Right? I always loved Enoch. He was a hero. That's how you want to go out. The Bible says one day he was no more. What happened to Enoch? He's gone. God called him. He brought him out of, he brought him out of this world and brought him to heaven. Enoch. And the other one who never experienced death is Elijah. All right? Caught up in that fiery chariot, brought up from this world uh, and never experienced uh, uh, death. But both Enoch and Noah are spoken of as having walked with God. That's what it says there. They walked with God. Uh, With Noah, given specific instructions has had to build the ark. I believe that this is an appearance of a Christophany, that Christ was there. Uh, It's as if the blueprints were given to Noah here. Here you go. You do this, and you're going to be saved. The ark. And I told you, the ark, effectively, is the typology of Christ. All right? Uh, One of the most attractive and instructive of these appearances is that of the experience of the patriarch, Abraham, uh, by the oak of Mamre. And there, three men appeared to Abraham. One of the three acting as a spokesman. I'd like you to turn to Genesis chapter 18, because this really shows you a picture of Christ, uh, a Christophany, powerful, uh, beginning with verse 1, and we're going to read a few verses here. So uh, there will be three visitors coming to visit Abraham. Two are angels, one is Jesus uh, in a Christophany. 
Genesis 18, verse 1. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. And Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. He said, if I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought uh, that you may wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed and then go on your way now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered, do as you say. When Abraham turned into the tent to Sarah, quick, he said, get three seahs of fine flour and knead it and bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf, gave it to the servant who hurried to prepare it. He then bought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and set them before them. While they ate, he stood near them under a tree. Where is your wife, Sarah? They asked. There in the tent, he said. Then the Lord said, you got that? Underline it. Then the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now, she's about 90, okay? Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now, Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already old and well advanced in years. See, if they lived in Naples, they wouldn't feel that way. <laughs> and Sarah was, Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, I love this. After I'm worn out and my master is old, I will now have this pleasure. Yes, you will, my dear. And the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Oh, don't ever laugh at Jesus. Okay, that's a mistake. Will I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year. And Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I did not laugh. But he said, yes, you did laugh. Okay, don't lie to Jesus. All right, don't lie to Jesus. What a, what a powerful passage this is about Christ appearing there to this man who will become the leader of the Jewish people, who was promised there that he will have a son. Uh, and so you're wondering about Jesus appearing in the Old Testament? How's this? All right, how's this? Continuing on. When the men got up to leave, they looked down towards Sodom, and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. Then the Lord said, and I want you to read, understand this, drill down on this. Then the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? And what was he about to do? He was about to wipe out Sodom and Gomorrah. You got that? He was about, shall I hide from Abraham? Shall I not tell him? Uh, you see this as he says it to the other angels. Abraham will surely become a great and powerful uh, nation, and all the nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. This is all coming from Christ sitting there and talking to Abraham. Then the Lord said, <laughs> let me see it again, the outcry 
against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin is so grievous that I will go down and see what they have done if it is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. What does it mean? It means that the prayers of those who are being victimized go to heaven and Christ hears them. He listens to them. He stands at the right hand of God. He hears the cries of the victims. And so now he's coming down to effectively collect the evidence. Did he have to? No. This is all part of his plan to, to let Abraham understand what his plan was before God. Understand that. The men turned away and went towards Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Understand it. The two angels go on. Jesus, the Christophany, stays there with Abraham. Now, why didn't Jesus continue towards Sodom? Because the perversion and sin was so great that Christ would not enter into those territories. God repudiates sin. And if you wonder, if anybody comes up with a discussion uh, about that kind of sin and tries to say in some way that, that we as Christians uh, are off on, on a limb, here's Jesus. This is a Christophany himself talking about it. Uh, and so continuing on, Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away <clears throat> the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? This is Abraham speaking to God now. So what you see here is the two angels are going on and going towards Sodom. Christ in the Christophany remains there. Uh, and Abraham knows it's the Lord. And so now he's negotiating with the Lord. Will you destroy it if there are 50 righteous people? Now, you don't talk to an angel like that. Do you understand? An angel doesn't have the authority uh, to enter a decree. Only God has the authority to enter a decree. This is death that's going to be declared. Uh, and so you understand this. Uh, this is important. Uh, will, you, will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of 50 righteous people? Uh, and then the... Uh, Christ says, far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill all the, the righteous with the wicked. Treating the righteous and the wicked alike, far be it from you. Will, will not the judge of all the earth do right? Will not the judge of all the earth? Do you recognize what's going on here? He's recognizing he's face to face with God. Will the judge of all the rightness, the creator of the universe... Destroy the place for 50 righteous people? The Lord said, if I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. There it is. I'll spare it. If I find 50, I'll spare it. Now, no angel talks like this. You understand? This is God speaking. You need to understand this. Then Abraham spoke again. Now that I've been so bold so to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes, what if the number of the righteous is five less than 50? What I like here is obviously uh, Abraham had spent some time in the Jewish markets. <laughs> you know, he knew how to negotiate, right? Didn't matter he was talking to God, but he knew. You know, when you're down there and you're buying tomatoes or something else, you don't just go with that first number. You, you negotiate. You got to love the guy. 
What if the number is of the righteous is five less than? Will you destroy the whole? No, I won't do that. All right. And once again, he gets it down to 40. Then he gets it down to 30. Uh, what about 30? Then he gets it down to 20. Right. And, and, and it's amazing, isn't it? What I love about this is there's two things I love here. I love the fact that Abraham is effectively hobbling with God. And then I love the fact that God lets him. That's your God. You understand? So when you pray to God, you ask God to intervene in your life. Don't be afraid to ask him. All right? Don't be afraid to tell him what you need, what's important to you, because he loves you. Here, you, you know, if this was us, we'd say, will you please stop? I came all the way for heaven. These people are brutal. I'm going to, no, he doesn't say that. He continues to give him an opportunity uh, to save this city. Uh, and, and, then he, and then he gets down to 10. What of 10? And, and Christ answered, if only 10 are there, I will not destroy it. Now, this is unbelievable. This extensive uh, repetition of this Christophany. Now we know, we know that he didn't go below ten, and I would submit that if he went below ten, God would honor him. Uh, but the bottom line is, if he went to one, they would still be destroyed because other than Lot, who would be taken out, there were no righteous people in Sodom, none whatsoever. And you understand that, and you see it, how incredible this is. Uh, and so here you see these three men. One is clearly an angel. Uh, one is clearly the angel of the Lord. One is clearly Jesus Christ. Uh, and, and speaking, speaking is God himself. Uh, and I love the fact that God says at some point, shall I hide this from Abraham? Shall I hide this from Abraham? Does he really need to know it? And he concludes, yes, he needs to know it because he needs to intercede. And that's your role. Your role is Abraham's role. Your role is to intercede. You understand? Your old role is not to be a judge. All right? I hear people talk about uh, uh, issues of sin that you see in the culture, uh, and we need to repudiate it. Yes, we do. But we also need to bring people who are in sin from the curb into the church. Can I get an amen on that? You're not going to save people if all you do is revile them and cast bricks at them unless you try to bring them the salvation of God. And that's what Abraham was given the chance to. Intercede, Abraham. Talk about these people. Stand up for these people. Pray for these people. Yes, if there's a righteous person, I will save it. I will not destroy it. That's your role. That's what God has called you to do. He hasn't called you to be a judge. He's called you to be the messenger of salvation. Amen? Amen? We'll continue this next week. Let's bow. Lord, I thank you for your, your wisdom. I thank you for these words, Lord, that you have written. Lord, I ask you that they continue to resonate in our life, uh, that we leave here empowered to go out to a lost world and present this message to people who desperately need to hear it. Bless our people, protect them, and bring them back safely next week to continue the study of your word. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. God bless you all.